0: We're going to uh, we're going to be delving into our uh, our study again uh, in the book of James, and uh, also we definitely want to welcome those that are joining us uh, wherever you're tuning in from around the world. We're glad that you are here. By the way, I want to want to say a special welcome to Peter. Uh, he wrote in and uh, he's watching from Christ Church, New Zealand, and uh, he said, "I'm taking in this. I'm teaching this week's Sabbath School lesson at Saint Martin's Seventh Day Adventist Church." And he said that he's gained valuable, valuable material from uh, watching the program here. And so uh, welcome, Peter, and everyone else who's tuning in, whether you're joining us uh, watching 3ABN Proclaim or on our website, or our YouTube channel, glad you're tuning in. And uh, you want to make sure that you call in for your free offer. And that's offer number 21451, 21451. And it's the presentation, today's presentation, on CD or DVD. And all you have to do is call in at 916-457-6511 or just email us at csh at saccentral.org. And we look forward to hearing from you. Please send in your comments as well. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, let us know how you're enjoying the programs and uh, how they've been a blessing to you. Uh, We're going to be getting stuck into our lesson from the quarterly on the book of James We really, today, we conclude the book of James. We have one more lesson in the quarter, um, but uh, we've got, uh, we're really concluding the book of James today. Uh, It's been an excellent study, hasn't it? Been a a real pleasure to go through this this book. And we're on lesson number 12, prayer, healing and restoration. Prayer, healing and restoration. And you probably want to turn with me to James chapter 5. That's where we are. James chapter 5, and let's look at our memory text here together. James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. How much does it avail? Much. Much. Good good stuff. And so that's our, our key text here for the class. Um, Why didn't Jesus respond to certain queries that came to Him, asking Him to perform a miracle? You recall, uh, He was standing before King Herod and King Herod, for mere entertainment, was asking Jesus to perform some type of sign or miracle. Did Jesus uh, honor His request? He didn't honor His request, you can read that in Luke chapter 23. The scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 came to Jesus and they asked Him for a sign, and Jesus said, no sign will be given to this perverse generation. And then, of course, while Jesus was being, uh, was in the wilderness and He had fasted for 40 days, Satan came to Him tempting Him and, uh, and uh, said, if you be the Son of God, make, take this stone and make it into bread. Satisfy your hunger. Did Jesus answer the call? Jesus didn't answer the call. Why, why didn't He respond to these particular requests. Jesus per- refused to perform the miracles because it wasn't in the best interest of the salvation of those who asked. It wouldn't have helped them one iota. Jesus could have pardoned, uh, performed the miracles uh, as it's His very nature to, and desire to want to help and to bless individuals. However, He desires And he wants, and what he wants most of all, is more permanent, lasting healing. And that's really what our lesson is about uh, this week, and has been about this week, and what we're going to review today. It's about lasting healing, lasting healing. So, what do James' words here in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, uh, what do they... What does it mean? What does the healing of the sick mean? What is he referring to? And what is the relationship between healing and forgiveness? That's another question that we'll be asking. And what is the significance of mentioning Elijah in connection with healing and forgiveness, this context? What's the significance of Elijah being mentioned? So these questions and more will be answered in, in the study as we as we move along. I'm going to invite you to go with me to Sunday's lesson and uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5 and verse 13, the essential Christian toolkit. James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 13. Notice what uh, James says here, and as he starts out. Now, you remember last week, previous uh, previous verses, uh, James is encouraging the believer to be patient and to wait for the harvest, just as the, the husbandman or the Uh, the farmer waits for his crop to to come to fruition and reach maturity. He says, be patient and uh, hold on. Even in the midst of suffering, be patient and trust the Lord, because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And notice verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him do what? Let him sing psalms. That's right. Suffering. and that's simply to mean someone who has suffered. If you have suffered, if, if anyone is suffering, if anyone has suffered misfortune, and to suffer misfortune could be you, you've, you're suffering mentally, or maybe you're suffering physically. Um, but here, is anyone suffering? Is anyone suffering? To suggest that the Christian gets to bypass suffering is to deny the clear testimony of Scripture, history and reality. Suffering comes to us all. And interestingly, James, as we've been studying, James refers to the reality of problems and difficulties in this life over and over and over again. Just a few verses for you, we won't turn there, but if you want to scratch these down, you can. James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers' what? temptations or trials. James 1 verse 2, James 1 verse 12 and 14, James 2, verse 6 and 15, James 3, 14 to 16, and then James 4, verse 7, and then in this particular chapter, James 5 and verse 6. James frequently refers to the problem of difficulties and trials in this life. Why does he, why does he spend time talking about it? Because it's a reality, it's a reality. We've talked about temptations from within, and the devil brings temptations. God allows difficulties and trials to come to us, not because He enjoys seeing us uh, challenged or perhaps perplexed, um, but this is the world we live in, and the great controversy issue must continue to unravel, and uh, ultimately God will be seen to be who He is, and that is God, a God of love, and the devil will be seen for who He really is, and that is just a mean, nasty devil, right? Uh, and so the great controversy is continuing, but the, this, is the pro- this is a, real, a, a real, this is real life, and as Christians, and living in this world, we do suffer. And so this topic has come up time and again to remind us that it is a reality. You can't escape it, you can't avoid it. Now, some people go looking for problems, and that's what we're not encouraging here. You don't, they're going to find you, you don't have to go looking for them, they're going to come after you. Uh, but they, when they come, you can know that you can trust the Lord, He'll help you, He'll guide you and He'll bless you and keep you through those difficulties and those challenges. Um, This type of suffering that James is referring to uh, goes beyond the disappointment you might expect or you might experience when your favorite team loses or when some, uh, maybe your body aches after working out in the yard or working out at the gym. This is suffering that goes beyond that. True suffering, true suffering. You might have experienced a financial loss, maybe a loved one, maybe a death. Uh, an individual might suffer who, who lives for Jesus, suffer persecution, whether it be verbal or physical. You know, we live in a, a very um, a free country and uh, the best folk can do is hurl insults at us, but that, that brings a degree of suffering. Sticks and stones, we were told, may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true names do hurt us. Uh, They do get to us and they do hurt us at times. Suffering comes because of uh, abuse uh, or disease, whether it be physical or mental, suffering comes in that form as well. Maybe you've experienced rejection because you've taken a stand for Jesus and your family's not quite sure what's going on in your life and and you've experienced a, a cold shoulder or two and that brings a degree of suffering as well. This is a reality. Suffering is a reality, but also cheerfulness is a reality. Notice again: Is any among you cheer? Uh, suffering? Is anyone what? Cheerful? Is anyone cheerful or joyful? Is anyone cheerful or joyful? To suggest that the Christian is to be Christian life is to be gloomy, brooding, and carrying the weight of the world upon our shoulders is to deny the clear testimony of history, of Scripture and of reality. Uh, the Christian life is filled with joy, you see. God plans for us to live serene and happy lives. It's uh, the wise man that said in Proverbs chapter 15, a merry heart does good like a what? Do you remember? It's actually a little, if you sing the jingle, there's a little, uh, little scripture song to that, to that uh, proverb. But a merry heart, I'm not going to sing it for you, I don't want to scare you off. Proverbs 15 verse 13, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. I'm quoting from the, New, uh, the King James Version. So a merry heart does good like a me- medicine. Paul said, in, uh, I've experienced poverty, and I've experienced richness, I've experienced suffering, and I've experienced happiness, but in all these things, in Philippians 4.11, he said, I've learned to be content. And in that same book in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, just in case you missed it, I said, Rejoice. The Christian experience, the Christian life is filled with happiness and with cheerfulness. And this is different from gaiety or frivolousness. That's different. Those things are different. True cheerfulness comes when we know God is with us and will support us with His great grace and comfort us during difficult times that we might experience. Uh, you know, it was Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and he said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've what? Committed to him until that day. And so Paul was able to experience calm assurance and cheerfulness even in the face of suffering because he knew in whom he believed and this is a, it's a big difference to know about Jesus versus knowing Jesus and if you know Jesus and you know him personally for yourself then then knowing him brings the assurance of his presence his power his support his grace his help in any time of need you might be experiencing. I don't want to minimize a person's suffering, someone here might be going through an awful tragedy and I don't want to minimize that, but the fact of the matter is Jesus can see us through, Jesus can see you through and He'll, he'll bless you, He'll comfort you, He'll support you, He'll never let you down, He'll do for you what no human being can do for you. That's Jesus and that's why Paul said, I, I know whom I believed, I'm persuaded that he's going to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Until he comes back, he's going to keep that because I know him. I trust him, you see. So, what are we called? What are we called to do when we suffer, according to James chapter 5 and verse 13? We're called to pray. We're called to pray. You think of Joseph. Do you think Joseph would have experienced, or would have uh, been able to endure, dealt with the difficulties he encountered, rejection at the hand of his brothers, and he met he met difficulty in uh, in Egypt. And uh, but God blessed his faithfulness, and Joseph prayed through those challenges and through those trials, even when he had to meet Potiphar's wife. How can I do this great sin? Against God and against my master. He, he was in an attitude of prayer. Joseph life, Joseph's life was filled with prayer. How about Moses? Was Moses a praying man? We're told that Moses was the meekest man that lived it, at that time. And uh, he was a praying man. Did Jesus pray? Yeah, his humanity, in his humanity, he needed to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? Yeah, we need to be spending time crucial important, powerful time with Jesus in prayer. Someone asked C.S. Lewis this question once, why do the righteous suffer? And C.S. Lewis was said to have responded, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. And why is that? For the reasons we've already stated, because of that connection the Christian has with Christ, because they know in whom they believe, you see in that beautiful little devotional, My Life Today, on page 20, the pen of inspiration reminds us that prayer takes a hold of omnipotence and gains us the victory. Prayer takes a hold of omnipotence and gains for us the victory. It reminds me of Jacob and Jacob's moments of wrestling. I shouldn't say moments, it was through the night, early morning, persevering in prayer, Prayer lays hold of omnipotence and gains for us the victory. So what are we encouraged to do when we're cheerful? What does it say? James 5.13. So if you're suffering, do what? Pray. If you're cheerful, do what? Sing. Sing praises to God. That's right. Sing praises. You think of the Red Sea experience. Moses, uh, children of Israel, crossed over unscathed and they sang the song of Moses, right? They sang. They praised God for his deliverance and his goodness. You know, even in, at the Last Supper, when Jesus, was, uh, when Jesus was meeting with his disciples for those last few moments, and his disciples were perplexed at Jesus' words that he was going to be suffered, betrayed into the hands of men, die in Jerusalem. And here he was eating with his disciples, and it was a solemn time. Jesus was talking strange talk. He's, he's not going to eat with us again until we eat it anew in the Father's kingdom. This is it. And Jesus had been telling them this all along. They just refused to accept it and listen to it. The Bible says that after they participated in that last supper, they got up and what did they do? You remember? They sang. Sang a hymn. They sang. They gave God glory. You know, it's important that when you're cheerful and when things are going okay to give God praise. What, what would be the danger of not acknowledging God when things are going well? Well, you, you, you take responsibility, right, for the good things that are happening. Well, look, look, look at my life. Things are going pretty, pretty great right now. And uh, man, I, I'm just doing a fantastic job. We are quick to forget about our great benefactor, are we not? The one who provides and gives us power and strength to uh, earn the livings that we're earning and to do the things that we do. It's even more important when we are in a state of cheerfulness and happiness to give thanks to God. Is it, isn't it right? Isn't that right? And how do we give Him thanks? Well, we can certainly pray and give Him thanks, but here James encourages us to sing psalms, to sing psalms. Um, and these are, according to the author of the, this lesson, these are the, this is the essential Christian toolkit. Prayer and praise. Prayer and and praise, um, and these tools can be used by anyone. Both and both recognize God, both acknowledge His goodness, and they and they and they acknowledge His faithfulness. And both are more intertwined than we generally think. Um, psalms of praise or praise psalms are also prayers. When you read through the Psalms, and it's a, it's a journey to read through the Psalms, David's Psalms and, and the other authors of some of the other Psalms, these are prayers, aren't they? So some of the Psalms that you read and that you recite are also prayers. Pray, Psalms of praise are also prayers. David sung them when he was suffering. And James encourages us to count it all joy count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptations, James chapter 1 verse 2. So these things are intertwined. When you're suffering, pray. When, you, when you're cheerful, sing psalms. But when you're suffering and you're experiencing trials, we're to count it all what? Joy. And even psalms of praise are prayers, you see. What did Paul and Silas do when they were imprisoned? Let's go to Acts chapter 16 verse 25. And uh, you know, they were unfairly, unjustly thrown into prison um, they, for, for casting a, a devil out of, a, out of an individual, they were cast into prison. Of course, casting the devil out of this young lady uh, cost the, uh, the profiteers money and they were upset at that and they laid hands on Paul and Silas and brought them to the officials. They rent their garments, their clothes, threw them into jail and there they mourned and were upset and cried and moaned and wailed. Is that what the Bible says? I know you're looking at me strange. What is he talking about? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were doing two things. What were they doing? This is the Christian toolkit. They were praying and they were singing. They were singing. The Bible says hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What would they normally hear in uh, in those prisons? And they're not like prison. They were not like prisons today. Bed. Uh, cable TV, can leave there for a time, go to the gym, play some board games. These prisons weren't like that. These were horrible. No bathroom, just had to use the floor. They were used to hearing people moaning and wailing and crying. Instead, they heard these prisoners praying and praising God, singing hymns, the Bible says. Man, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, not Blank Space or Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. They weren't doing that. Or Singing Jealous by Nick Jonas. They weren't doing that either. They were singing what? Hymns. They were singing hymns. Hymns to God. And the prisoners, the Bible says, were listening to them. You know, it's impossible for earthly songs to lift us to heaven, they weren't designed for that we were not designed. Earthy songs were not were not designed to lift us to heaven. Sensual songs cannot help me grow spiritually. And uh, and so you know when we talk about and we've been talking a lot about discipleship here, following Jesus, being doers of the word. Uh, it gets down to even our taste in music. Well, not is that the right word? Taste in music, styles of music. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong word. Styles in music, perhaps they were singing hymns. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, we're encouraged to, to uh, sing Scripture songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, not the top 40 or the top 10. Only these Scripture songs and spiritual songs and hymns can lift us toward heaven and cause us to fly like eagles above the challenges and trials we might be experiencing. I was a big, uh, big fan, and I, I could take a while talking about music. I, I did homework and research and studied music. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I couldn't listen to the songs that I wanted to sing, listen to anymore. I couldn't listen to Queen anymore, the Beastie Boys, the Fat Boys, and all the rest. I was, a, I was, a, I was born in the 70s, so I was a bit of an 80s guy. Um, they say some of the best music came out of the 80s. I gave, had to give that up. I can't be preparing for heavenly music while I'm listening to that type of stuff. Not gonna prepare me. Not filling my mind with holiness and righteousness and and, and serving others. I'll I'll stop because I know I'm I may be potentially staying on a few toes. But we need to be consistent in our experience. If we're preparing for heaven, we ought to be receiving those things that will prepare us for heaven. So they were singing songs of praise to God. These are our toolkits, prayer and praise, don't forget it. Easy to say, but when we're suffering and going through a challenge, how easy is it to pray? Sometimes easier than to praise. Isn't that right? Easier sometimes to pray than to praise God, please help me. But then to start singing praise and give God thanks for His goodness and right at the moment where you might be doubting that He's good because you're dealing with this issue, Listen, whatever the problems you might be experiencing or going through doesn't change God's nature, His love, His attitude towards you. God is always good, always faithful, always kind and good to us. All right, let's go over to Monday's lesson. Let's continue reading right along here, James chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? All right. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. We do not need to doubt, we do not need to doubt God's desire and ability to heal us. God desires to bring healing. And God wants to bring healing, and He has the ability to bring healing. All you have to do is look at the experience of Jesus, His life. And we're told in Desire of Ages that there, there were towns He went through where not one person was left sick. Does God desire to bring healing? Yes, does God desire to heal the sick? Psalms 103 verses 13 and 14 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him, for He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. Listen to this, Psalm 107, verses 17 through 20. The psalmist said, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. This is talking about someone who's on their deathbed, someone who is perhaps breathing their last. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distress. He sent His word, and notice what it says next, and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There was a king, it was a king, Hezekiah, who was essentially on his deathbed. And did God hear his prayer and bring healing to him? Sure, certainly did. What are the essential elements, and this is the question that's asked here in the lesson, what are the essential elements James prescribes for healing the sick? Let's look at the verses again. I'm going to give you six. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to give you six. Six essential elements elements regarding the healing of the sick. Here they are, if any among you sick, that's the first one, that's the first essential element, the recognition of personal need of healing, that's the first one. Number two, if any among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. That may be because the person's incapacitated, can't get out, can't come, But here, there is a recognition, a recognition of personal need of healing, and there's a collective recognition for divine intervention. So that's another prerequisite or or an element that James prescribes for healing. And then he says, let him call for the elders and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here are several more. Seeking God in what? Prayer. Seek God in prayer. Prayer and then also anoint with oil. As a matter of fact, the first time anointing with oil is mentioned uh, in, in, when it comes to healing is in Mark chapter 6 and verse 13 in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus sent out the 12. And the 12 were sent out and He said, when you go out, you'll be, able, you'll be given power to cast out devils and you will, you will anoint people with oil and they will be healed. And James takes that instruction that Jesus gives and He says, okay, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders, let them come pray, anointing them with oil. Uh, By the way, this is not not extreme unction. This is not extreme unction, a last rite of the church for the dying, as is promoted by the Roman church, which was something that was introduced into the church, I think, about the 8th century AD. And then uh, by the 15th or 14th century, it became uh, it was, ca- it was kind of canonized, is that the right word? It just became official that uh, when, you, uh, when someone is dying on their deathbed, you come in and you perform extreme unction where there's virtue in the oil. That's the idea. But in this case, G- James and Jesus are not suggesting that there's virtue in oil. Come praying in the name of who, friends? Name of Jesus. Why? Because there is only healing power through Jesus, that's why. There's no virtue in the oil any more than there is, wa- there is virtue in the, water that, uh, in the water that you were baptized in. There is no healing virtue in the oil at all or whatsoever. And so, seek God in prayer. This is number four, anoint with oil. And then number five, and we mentioned it, coming in the name of the Lord, coming in the name of Jesus, and then also with what? Faith. So here are the essential ingredients if a person wants to experience healing. So, what type of healing are we referring to here? We're not just referring to physical healing. It was mentioned, yeah. James is referring here also to spiritual healing, a deeper healing. A deeper healing to take place. So what important spiritual components are found in these verses or in these elements? When a person comes anointing, uh, when the elders come and anoint the individual who's sick with oil, what does the oil represent? When you read scripture, oil is often used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. When you go back to the Old Testament, uh, oil was used in the dedication or consecration of the uh, sanctuary, uh, sanctuary, the temple's utensils, uh, equipment. Uh, the uh, priests were anointed uh, with oil. So, oil represents a consecration, a dedication of the individual. Uh, When a person is asking for the elders to come, the pastors to come, to, uh, to pray over them, anoint them with oil, they're asking for a Uh, a a rededicatory service. That's what they're asking for. I want to rededicate my life to God and to His plan and His wishes for me. And when we come, we pray. And prayer simply is willingness to cooperate with God's uh, requirements and obey His law, whether it be the physical laws or whether they be spiritual laws. Um, You know, it's important that when a person is seeking healing, that they are on the right road with the Lord. It's hard for God to do, perform a miracle for somebody, and do something special for somebody when they're knowingly disobeying him or disregarding him in some area of their life. It's hard for a parent to honor a child's wishes for, for, one, for a particular thing um, when they know and you know that they are knowingly disobeying you in a particular area, right? Well, I'm not going to do that, but I want mom and dad to do this for me. Well, hang on, hang on. You, you do this first, and then we'll discuss this thing next, all right? Sure, the parents are going to continue to provide, put food on the table and give them clothing and a roof over their head, I'm not going to boot them out, not, not at all. When they're young and so on, when they're 18, you can ask them to go get a job and find their own house, that's perfectly fine. Um, but uh, uh, the important thing here, the important thing here is obedience to God and obeying Him. I can't ask God to heal my lung can cancer if I insist on smoking, can't do it. Uh, there are certain things that God is asking us to do physically as well to uh, to allow healing to come to us. He, our bodies are marvelous things. Healing themselves, I mean, that's what God put in our bodies. And uh, we're to cooperate with those uh, natural laws to promote healing. So we need to obey. Praying uh, suggests that we are willing to cooperate with God's uh, God and obey His requirements, and then praying in the name of the Lord simply indicates our submission to His will. Does God bring healing to all people? No. Does God bring healing to all Christians? Physical healing, when they ask Him. Not everyone. There's a story in the in the Gospel of Mark, where we're told that Jesus healed a number of people, but then there were some that were left unhealed. Jesus moved on. Not everyone is left healed. Notice what James says here in James chapter 5, verse 15. He says, and the prayer of faith will do what? Save the sick from the sickness or save them? (laughs) I I don't want to mix up your mind or mess you up in any particular way here, they're coming, asking for the, for for physical healing, but really they are doing what? For spiritual healing, Lord, I want to be fully and entirely Yours, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, even if they don't get over their sickness, at least they are saved. I'm going to say this for risk at risk of being misunderstood, but God desires that we are saved more than that we are healed. Physically, if not bringing physical healing allows. Uh, that challenge and trial to draw us nearer to Jesus and if Jesus brought healing and it, co- it would lead us, cause us to move away from Jesus, Jesus might allow that problem to persist. Paul, was he, uh, did he ever, that thorn, was that ever removed from him? No. No, but he learned that in his weakness, Jesus is strong. And he learned that in his problems and challenge and his trial, God's grace is sufficient for him. And so God is far more interested in saving us eternally than bringing temporal, physical healing. And I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Notice what James goes on to say, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will do what? Raise him up. What's that referring to? The resurrection. The resurrection. I believe in every every case, healing will come to the Christian. See, I know some of you said no. Healing doesn't always come. Yes, it does. Healing will come to the, to the believer in Jesus. It might come immediately through a miracle of God. It might come gradually as the person applies natural remedies or works with their doctor. If it doesn't come then, it'll come when Jesus raises us from the dead. And this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on what? Immortality. And we'll be with Jesus forever. So healing ultimately does come. Because that's the nature of Jesus. If we are consecrated to Him, dedicated to Him, He has our hearts entirely, for sure. Number, Let's go over to Tuesday's lesson and let's uh, move on here. Healing for the soul. We've, We've been touching on this. Look at James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Oh, by the way, go back up to verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be what? Forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God desires that our souls be healed more than our bodies. Yes, John wrote, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. But again, the emphasis is on healthy souls. As your soul what? Prospers. God desires our souls be healed more than our bodies. But again, again, uh, He does want to heal our bodies and He's going to. If our hand's in the hand of Jesus and Jesus lives and dwells in our hearts, we can be assured whether we die or whether we're alive when Jesus comes, we'll be receiving brand new bodies. Fantastic. Brand new bodies. And, And this is the purpose of our church's health ministry. The end is not to make healthy people for the lake of fire. That's not our end. Some people, they have in mind, they they get all excited when a person becomes a vegetarian. And some get even more excited when a person becomes a vegan vegetarian. It's like, yes, yeah, and and that's good, and that's that's great, you know, because it promotes health. But can we get excited when someone gives their life to Jesus? Isn't the purpose of the health message to lead people to Jesus? I'm not undermining the health message. It's powerful and it produces healing and I've seen it and experienced it and you've probably seen it and experienced it as well. You apply the principles outlined in Scripture and the spirit of prophecy, man, you, you, you're going to do, do well. You're going to prolong your life and not only prolong it, but you're going to have, the quality of life's going to be phenomenal and your mind's going to be clear and this is the, this is the key. Your mind's going to be clear, healthy body, healthy mind, and your mind's going to be clear. What is the avenue by which God speaks to humanity? Through our minds. Not through my fingers, not through my bicep. <laughs> he speaks through our minds, and He wants our minds to be clear so we can hear Him even better. We can know His will even, <clears throat> even better. We can hear His voice speaking even clearer because, we, because we're, our bodies are healthy, and therefore our minds are clear and healthy and we can understand his word even better and appreciate and appropriate the three angels messages here in these last days purpose of the health message is to bring healing not just physical healing but also spiritual healing that's the purpose of our health message you see physical mental emotional social and spiritual well-being that's what we're concerned about Seventh-day Adventists, God desires to bring a deeper healing, not just clear someone's blood pressure or, uh, or get them off their diabetes medication, which is all good, by the way, and saves you money. Uh, God's plan will do that for you. If you've got type 2 diabetes, it's 100% reversible. If you just apply God's plan and you can save some money on those pills, but God's healing goes deeper, far deeper. Remember the story of the paralytic? Mark chapter 2, we won't read it, but the story, you know the story, Jesus is in a house teaching, there's a paralytic man who cannot walk, his friends bring him and they can't get in, so they go to the roof, they tear open the roof, let him down and Jesus says, rise man, get up and take up your bed and walk. Is that what he says? No. What does he say first? (laughs) That's what I was driving at, yeah. He he ended up saying that yes, but he said your sins be what? Forgiven you. The man wanted to come to see Jesus, not so much to receive physical healing, but to receive spiritual healing, to know that his sins were forgiven. It was his sins that brought him into this physical condition. And he wanted to know his sins were forgiven. In the book, Desire of Ages, notice what it says on page 267. Yet it was not physical restoration he desired so much as relief from the burden of sin. Now notice what she goes on to say. It's fascinating. If he could see Jesus and receive the assurance of forgiveness and peace with heaven, he would be content to live or die according to God's will. Some folk come to God wanting to be healed physically, but not wanting to meet the conditions for spiritual healing. And that is to receive Christ by faith and to have a heart that's willing to do His will, you see. Lord, I want you to heal me. I believe you're going to heal me, and my faith says you're going to heal me, so you ought to heal me. That's not how it works. We come to Him for not just physical, but spiritual healing. Lord, I want to be fully dedicated to You, fully Yours, entirely Yours. I want to be consecrated to You. Notice in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus' healing goes deeper than physical healing. He wants our hearts entirely and he can mend our lives. First Peter chapter 2. Verses 24 and 25, Peter says, who himself, talking about Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Now he quotes Isaiah chapter 53. By whose stripes you were what? Healed. Healed. Jesus took upon him our sins, our guilt, so that you and I might be healed physically. Yes, but primarily spiritually. Primarily spiritually. And if we are right with God, then we have the assurance that we will be healed completely when Jesus comes back, right? No more glasses, canes, uh, medication, love the doctors, love the nurses, but none of that anymore. Gone. Jesus is going to give us brand new bodies, you see. Jesus took upon him our sins. By his stripes, you were healed. What wonderful, wonderful assurance. Well, let's go over to Wednesday. And let's take a look at the models of, models of prayer. We're going to verses 17 and 18 of James. We're rolling right along. We're going to get to the end here. Five minutes left, so let's, let's do it. James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, this is referring to the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave grain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now these verses, verses 17 and 18, illustrate the promise given in verse 16, that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent prayer just means the prayer that is earnestly exercised. A prayer that is earnestly exercised. The righteous man, Prayer doesn't depend on wealth or rank or talent or office, but upon the character of the man or the woman giving the prayer, offering the prayer. And what does it mean that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? What does it mean to avail much? It simply means power to accomplish an objective. The objective in this context is the restoration of relationships, true healing. First of all, our relationship with God. That needs to be rectified, needs to be healed, restored. And then our relationship with one another, you see, true healing. William Law wrote these words, There is nothing that makes us love a man so much as prayer for him. There's nothing that makes us love a man as much as prayer for him. There may be an estrangement in your family, in the church, somewhere. You ought to be praying for that person. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. Brings you to the conclusion that you'd hoped for and anticipated a restored relationship. Now, you can only do what you can do. You can pray and you can be generous and kind and thoughtful and patient. If the other person doesn't want to respond, then okay, but you keep on being kind and loving and supporting and you keep that person in prayer and your love for that person will continue to grow. Now, the, the, the model for this type of prayer was Elijah. Elijah's mentioned, a man with no special advantages. He lived life as every one of us must live it. And we're encouraged by the words that he was a man of like passions. I'm encouraged by those words, aren't you? He was a man who was a man of like passions like you and I, and he prayed that the rain would stop coming down. And then he prayed for the rain to come down. In both instances, God answered his prayer. He was a man of like passions or of like feelings. He faced trials and sometimes he was affected by human weakness. Therefore, his success didn't depend upon him as being a super Christian, but his success depended upon the grace of God. And grace, God has a lot of grace to offer, doesn't he? God has a lot of grace to offer. Jesus' humanity, we're told in Steps to Christ, made prayer a necessity and a privilege. And it would not, he prayed that it would not rain and he prayed that it would rain. And why did he pray that? Out of resentment, out of hate for the people that were coming after him or for the disobedience that he was seeing, the idol worship? Was he, what was he praying for? Because he hated them? Don't bring rain because they don't deserve it. Is that why he was praying? He was praying for restored relationships. God, they've defied your law. They've cast you off. They're far removed from you. So don't bring rain in the hopes that they will come back to you. And when that thing, experience happened on the top of Mount Carmel, Elijah went out and he again prayed for his people. And he prayed with fervent and earnest love, you see, and the rain came down. Elijah was, in effect, involved in the ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. He was involved in the ministry of reconciliation of reconciliation, reconciling God's people to God and to one another. Let's close now, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Man, powerful powerful. God is in the business of complete and utter restoration. That's what Elijah was praying for, a restoration. You know, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we're told that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah will come again. The Elijah message will be preached. And that Elijah message, I believe, to be Revelation 14, 6 through 12. And what's the purpose of that message? To warn people that Jesus is coming back? Well, certainly, but primarily to restore relationships. He said He will turn the Father's heart to their children and children to their fathers. Restored relationships. The relationship with our Heavenly Father, first and foremost, and then with one another. Complete and utter restoration. God desires to restore broken people and relationships, especially the one with Himself. James' final appeal to the church is to be the means in the hands of God by which this restoration takes place. It's work that is similar to Elijah, to John the Baptist. It was a work similar to Jesus. And friends, it requires patience, it requires sympathy, it requires tenderness, and it requires humility. And may God help us to be that restoring agent in His hand in these last days as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ.